it is obvious that if one would be able to develop an invisibility cloak, such a thing would have dramatic implications. So you bring your body inside this tube, they apply a strong magnetic fields and they use these fields to see what's happening inside your body. We can see everyday examples of people that are using this awesome technology for darker uses, right? You're listening to Widdishin's podcast, where we take the ultimate sci-fi themes found in books and movies and discuss them with the world's leading scientists, engineers, and experts. This week's podcast is all about invisibility cloaking. It's brought to you by our sponsors of preferred retailers, Wordery and the Book Depository. And the book whose theme we're reflecting on this week is The Invisible Man by H.G. Wells. Now, The Invisible Man is a science fiction novel published in 1897 and it concerns the life and death of a scientist named Griffin who has gone simply mad. Having learned how to make himself invisible, he begins to use his invisibility for nefarious purposes, including murder. My name is Amy Rose, and in this episode, I have a conversation with Dr. Jordi Pratt-Camps about developing an invisibility cloaking device. I also spoke to Dr. Geordie Pratt-Camps on Wormholes in Season 1, Episode 3. Geordie is a physicist from Barcelona with a background in electromagnetism, superconductivity and metamaterials, and he has a very applied vision. He loves to explore the frontiers between disciplines and, in particular, the connection between science and technology. Have a listen. Thank you so much, Geordie Pratt-Camps. Do you prefer... The whole thing, or Jordi, or Jordi is okay. Jordi, you're a physicist from Barcelona. You joined us in season one, episode two, where we talked about wormholes, and you're back again to talk about cloaking devices. So, thanks so much for coming on the show again. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure. In case some of our listeners didn't listen to episode two in season one. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got involved in this really awesome science and technology? Yeah, well, from the very early ages, I loved science and technology. I loved building things. And actually, I won, when I was a kid, it seems that my mother tells me that I wanted to invent new things. So, and this is how I ended up studying science. And I studied physics. And after the bachelor, well, the possibility of doing a PhD in physics came across. I took this opportunity and I got a PhD in physics working in the control of uh, electromagnetic fields, in the control of light, and in particular in the control of magnetic fields. So, yeah, this is how my story and my love uh, started for science. And I'm working as a professional scientist since then. And today we're talking about making things invisible. Yes. And I have to say that I'm really excited because there's been a few breakthroughs mm-hmm. and I w- and you've been working on a few things. So can you tell us about cloaking and what it is? Yeah, that's actually a very interesting research topic. So the idea of becoming invisible is something that has been in uh, in our minds since the very early ages. Everybody at some point has wondered 
what would happen if we could make ourselves invisible? And actually, we can find examples in literature. There are plenty of films, movies, and also books that discuss this idea. Okay, So initially, well, some of the very early ideas on how to make us invisible rely on the idea of, uh, well, making us transparent, right? So glass is transparent and in some given conditions you cannot see the glass because the light goes through. So in science fiction you can find some movies in which, well, people become invisible because they inject some substance or they take some magic kind of pills and, well, then their bodies become transparent. Okay, mm. cell by cell. Mm. Um, this is a very uh, nice idea from a, a science fiction point of view, but that's not scientifically sound. There's no mm. way that this is uh, feasible. Okay, so this was an idea that was there for many years, and there are some nice books on that, even The Invisible Man, a classic book. But the change, or the let's say the big milestone in terms of invisibility happened, uh, let's say, in 2000, around 2006. So uh, scientists were trying to develop, to find a different solution to the invisibility problem. Instead of uh, changing the properties of the object or the person that wants to become invisible, they found the way to create instead an invisibility cloak. They called this invisibility cloak. This would be because this has not been built yet, but this would be a device, a kind of cloak, with which you can surround a person or an object, and then all the work is done by this cloak. What this cloak is doing is just bending the light rays around the object, such that if you are looking at this guy that is surrounded by the cloak, you don't see him. So how does that work? Does, do, do you need power? Do you need the cloak to be designed in a particular way or fabrics or? Yeah, that's the thing. So in 2006, the professor John Pendry and some colleagues found the recipe for the materials that one would need to create this kind of cloak. So the difficult thing is to find the recipe of materials. And actually they found, with some formulas and some calculations, they found, well, the required material properties, the required electrical permittivity and the magnetic permeability that would be needed in order to build one of these cloaks. So actually the recipe of materials is there and has been there since 2006. Can we just, like create our own cloak then with the right is this fabric available that's a problem so the recipe is there the theory is there many people have performed simulations and they have confirmed that such recipe would work okay now the problem is that if you look at these formulas and you look at the specs of the materials that you would need well you don't find such materials in nature You need very specific materials with very specific properties, okay? Electric and magnetic properties that bend and control the light in a very specific way to generate such an invisibility cloak. And unfortunately, if you go to nature, you don't find materials with these really demanding properties. That's the reason why we don't have, you know, invisibility cloaks nowadays. So when you're doing the research for this and when people are trying to develop these cloaks, what's the purpose? I mean, usually scientific research, you get funding because it's going to cure cancer or, you know, it's going to do something good for the world. But why are 
you researching invisibility? <laughs> well, I have to say that this is one of the best questions that you could pose. Because, yeah, I love this question. Uh, well, I have to say that in first place, it is clear that invisibility, making things invisible, is an open question. Nobody has been able to do that before. We can talk about all the attempts because there have been some examples of partial cloaking and many people, many researchers are still working on that. But regardless of that, the problem of cloaking has been a challenge and has been a challenge that has been an interesting scientific challenge. Okay. Now, that's very nice and very romantic, but on mm. the other hand, it is obvious that if one would be able to develop an invisibility cloak, such a thing would have dramatic implications mm -hmm. for all of us. Yes. Okay? It would have very positive and it could have potentially negative applications, right? I'm not discovering anything new, but obviously military companies would be very interested in things like that. So that's why many, well, some, let's say, military agencies have been investing money in these researches, okay? I mean, and this is a different kind of discussion, but definitely there are companies and there are governments that would be very interested in these technologies. And yeah, that's the truth, right? But other than that, honestly, I would like to give also the message that this is an open scientific question, a challenge, And scientists love challenges. They like to solve problems that seem impossible. So that's why many people have been motivated by that. Yeah, it's like climbing a really big mountain and then you get to the top and then you, you can tick that off your bucket list. Exactly. That's and so I can see other uses for mm -hmm. the invisibility cloak. I mean, if we've got like nanobots that can go in and grab particles from the human body and hide it from the human body or, you know, because I, I don't know exactly how medically this works, but I can imagine that the body attacking itself in some instances because it can see or not see, you know, it can, that other entity yeah. is there, you know, so in a medical sense. Yeah, it would have definitely, in addition to these, these other, you know, military uses, you have to take into account that when we are talking about the invisibility cloaks, we always think of visible light. But light, electromagnetic light, is understood in the broader sense. So actually, infrared light that we cannot see, infrared light, is also part of the electromagnetic spectrum. And if you, even radio waves are part of the electromagnetic spectrum. And actually what happens is that when you talk about invisibility cloaks, you think of this, the visible example, but there are many researchers that are trying to build invisibility cloaks that work for other frequencies beyond the visible range. Some teams are targeting, for example, the infrared, and some teams have successfully developed partial invisibility cloaks for infrared. What's the purpose of that? Well, there might be many uses for that because infrared, for example, is the radiation that hits our bodies when you take a sunbath. The infrared is the one that is hitting us up, okay? So yeah. if you are able to cloak this, you could maybe render some regions, you know, cooler. Oh, there are other researchers wow. that are... Yeah, because uh, that's a nice thing of light, right? When we think about the light, we think mm. about uh, the visible spectrum, but that's an arrow, part of the spectrum. There are, there's infrared, there are microwaves, for example, that are used in radar technology. We use microwaves at home to heat up our meal. 
microwaves are used every day, okay? Mm -hmm. And they are used also to transfer the data in our cell phones. So some other teams are trying to build invisibility cloaks, if you want to call it like this, that target microwaves. And that would be useful if you want to shield some region in a space from this electromagnetic, this microwave. So you've made a few breakthroughs yourself, and I would love to yeah. hear about what you've been working on with cloaking devices. Yeah, absolutely. So at the very beginning, uh, when I was starting my PhD, I started the PhD in a group that was doing some research on the control of magnetic fields. Okay, mm -hmm. Magnetic fields in this uh, electromagnetic spectrum I was talking about are located at the very lowest frequency region. We are talking about fields that are either static or that uh, oscillate with really low frequencies. Anyways, these magnetic fields are used in many technologies like electric motors, transformers, magnetic resonance scans, etc. So the, uh, what we were trying to do is to control these magnetic fields in novel ways. And one of the very first ideas that came to our minds was, what about cloaking? Does it make sense to try to build an invisibility, it should be called undetectability, cloak for magnetic fields? Well, this was our first challenge that we tried to face. And we managed, after some thought, and we invested almost a year of research in this topic, we managed to find and to design and to build a small undetectability cloak for magnetic fields. How does it work? Well, the idea is that, for example, let's think of a magnetic resonance imaging scan. So you bring your body inside this tube, they apply a strong magnetic fields and they use these fields to see what's happening inside your body. That's very cool. Mm -hmm. But what happens if you have a, some implant, like, for example, a peacemaker, okay, mm -hmm. implant? Well, then you cannot take this scan because this machine contains magnetic parts. And imagine what would happen if you have these magnetic parts inside a giant magnetic field. Yeah. It would break down. So that's why many people cannot have access to this scan. And here is where our idea would, could make a difference. Because if you would be able to build a magnetic invisibility cloak, you would be able to surround your chest with our cloak. Okay? And then what would happen is that from the magnetic scan point of view, this area of your body that contains this implant would be undetectable. So you wouldn't break down the implant and at the same time you would still be able to make image, to produce images of other parts of your body. What? Oh my God. That's a bit scary. <laughs> no, but that's nice, right? Because yeah. this gives you a potential use of one of uh, such magnetic and detectability cloaks. And this is what we were trying. Well, this was a long time ago. <laughs> but yeah, this but is what we did. It's still very cool. Aren't you a little bit worried? I guess you specialize in this sort of thing, especially electromagnetism. And I think it's superconductivity, which is a real yeah. word. But aren't you a little bit worried sometimes that you are going to have someone like the military or someone come up to you and say, you've got to come work for us? Or um, No. Um, <laughs> 
No, no, no. I'm not worried about that. Uh, we have to be honest about that. So anything, any progress that is made in science and technology can be used potentially for very good things, but it might have also potentially very dark uses. And the best example is internet. So mm. that's a breakthrough, okay? Internet is awesome. Now we are, yeah. we are recording a podcast while you are very far from my desk. That's awesome. But on the other hand, we can see every day examples of people that are using this awesome technology for darker uses, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, so that's, yeah. this happens with any progress. This shouldn't, in my opinion, that's a personal opinion, but this shouldn't refrain us from trying to develop science and technology and push it forward as much as we can. So you're developing a cloaking or mm -hmm. a de cloaking device that is... How do I put this? Because <laughs> I'm not a scientist. That's like no uh, worry. electromagnetic. Uh -huh. And yes, it, that it. impacts on pacemakers and mm -hmm. things that are inside human bodies that are maybe moving parts. So what I'm thinking is because it's not very long until we have cyborgs. <laughs> I mean, it sounds crazy, but, you know, people with like arms and legs that are mechanical and I think, I don't want to talk about the military too much, but they probably will have cyborgs too. And will they not be compatible with cloaking devices or cloaking? I don't really know. It is true that uh, we will see technology applied to, well, we see already <laughs> technology applied yeah. to our bodies, right? And we have, uh, well, it seems that in some companies, for example, some people that are lifting weight are already carrying these exoskeletons to help them in moving the, these heavy parts. We are seeing there's a lot of research going on nowadays in skin wearables, mm. which are kind of tattoos that you can put on your skin. And these wearables detect, for example, the temperature of your skin, or they can even detect the blood pressure directly. So I think that it's reasonable to think that in a few years we will see people interacting with technological gadgets and devices in, in new ways. We might wear these tattoos or these skin electronic devices, and we might be, you know, connected some people might be connected to exoskeletons that help them carry their you know your groceries some people we have you know interesting examples Elon Musk has invested in a company that is claiming that they will be able to interact directly with our minds oh with my our god brains. Neuralink <laughs> oh, yeah that's <laughs> yeah that's a different that's a very I don't know anything about that but that's a very strong claim and uh, this would change for sure many things in our lives so i don't know if this is going to happen or not i'm not prepared to talk about these things but most likely the interaction with technology will change in the next few years but it's true that it has changed already right we are all of us carrying our cell phone all the time yeah which is technically makes us a bit of a cyborg really because exactly yeah. exactly <laughs> Because we rely on this device all the yeah, time yeah. and we, we do many things <laughs> through this device. Once you, because you're obviously going to develop an invisibility cloak, it's mm -hmm. inevitable. What will you do next? <laughs> well, I was talking about this kind of feeling that many scientists have when you see a problem that 
has not been solved yet, you see this as a chance to challenge this problem, okay? And you try to find solutions to this problem. Many scientists, I include myself in this category, like this kind of fundamental challenges. And once you solve, if you are lucky and you are able to solve this problem, well, you might follow this lead further or you might look for the next challenge to face. And honestly, I think that this is something that we did in 2012. For example, we worked a bit more on this problem, but we considered that from a scientific point of view, the problem was more or less already solved. Then what's next? Well, I think that now it's time for engineers to take over, right? And if anybody is interested in further developing these things, it should be an engineering team. So do you mean an engineering team to create the actual cloak? Exactly. Right. Exactly. Because it's like what happened in 2006, right? John Pendry developed this recipe. It is true that this recipe was not feasible because you couldn't find the materials. But uh, many other groups have been developing partial solutions and many of these solutions are really awesome. Okay? They achieve partial invisibility for some kind of lights. Okay? So some of these technologies, from the scientific point of view, well, the problem has been solved. And I know that in some of these researchers are uh, teaming up with engineers to try to now develop devices, commercial working devices that can work as a product. So um, I think that this is the kind of research that, you know, knocks the door of engineering and then you need to team up with engineers that can help in the development of a final product. So what type of engineer would you have to be? Well, that's a good question because, you know... I mean, you couldn't be a fashion designer because, I mean, you know, I know about... (laughs) (laughs) That would be very funny. That would be really very funny. But um, I think that, you know, the, the main challenge, as I was finding before, is material. So engineering and building and finding the materials with the right properties such that fulfill the recipe that we know. So I think that the engineering needed in this regard would be material science engineering. Yeah, I think that this is the kind of engineering teams that are working on these topics as well. Okay, so there are engineers currently working on the materials. Yes, absolutely. And if you had an engineer approach you who specialised in this and said, hey, Geordie, let's team up and create the ultimate invisibility cloak. Awesome. Would you drop everything and say, let's do it? Or would you be like, well, it's already been solved, I mean? Wow, that's a very good question. I think I have the feeling that I would make... Well, that's difficult to say, honestly, because cloaking is very appealing. But no, as a scientist, I consider that the problem is half solved and therefore Mm. is not that appealing anymore, right? Yeah, yeah. So maybe I would try to look for something else instead. But yeah, you never know, right? But if it's, I mean, the book isn't closed for you. So you might get to 100 years old and you'd be like, why did I not build that invisibility? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah, I agree. So most likely I would accept the offer. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I'll put money on that one, Geordie. It would. (laughs) (laughs) No, it would be, I can tell you that it would be awesome. 
it would be awesome and really interesting. I know that the, I've been following this research topic and there are still plenty of articles, research articles published every year on, on cloaking and invisibility. And nowadays there are many interesting partial solutions that employ even electronic technologies. So cameras and projectors, this is, you can consider this as a myth of cheating, okay? Because this is a bit, a mixture of technology and science. Uh, mm-hmm. But I have seen some examples that are really cool, really cool. They achieve very, well, very interesting results with partial invisibility, partial undetectability. And yeah, the research ne- is not a stopping. So I'm sure that we'll see some awesome results in the next years. Or they might already exist, but they're... Ah, (laughs) that's a good... Yeah, they they might be there. They might be there. I don't know. It's 2019. 2006 is when all the breakthroughs happened. Yes, yes, I agree. Something might be there. But (laughs) I am quite convinced that the perfect invisibility that we see in the science fiction movies and books is not there yet. The challenge is so big in terms of material science. Hmm. It's so difficult to fulfill the specs of these recipes that I'm quite sure that they might have something, but it would be only partial invisibility. So... I'm, well, I hope I'm wrong. Eh? I would be super happy, well, super happy or super concerned to see <laughs> such, a, <laughs> such a device working. Something might be there, but it might just be invisible, Geordie. Oh, that's it. That's it. <laughs> that, could be, that could be the reason, right? All right. So the last question that you know that I ask this question at the end of, of mm-hmm. every interview, what technology do you think will shock us? that is coming out in the next 50 years or so? Wow. Your imagination, yeah. Yeah, that's a very, really interesting question. It's difficult. It's difficult to make this kind of forecast because you always fail, right? Yeah, yeah. I uh, I don't know. Some people thought the car would be around in a, you know, or an automobile that everyone would have, and that happened. Yeah, it's true. And some people were uh, thought of this idea of being connected many years ago, but uh, it's very difficult. I would say that the breakthrough will come from environmental science. I am convinced that this will be the next breakthrough because the climate is our most immediate challenge that we are facing. We might not be aware of that yet, but I am convinced that the climate will be our biggest challenge. So I hope that the next breakthrough will be also in climate control, either this or we might face very pessimistic futures, not only for us, but also for, you know, the next regeneration. So I'm quite convinced that this will be the next breakthrough. Well, I certainly hope so, because the future seems a little bit dire. Exactly. Any breakthroughs. But speaking of the weather and stuff and this is very far-fetched, so you can just say, I'm not talking about that. Um, no problem. <laughs> um, no problem, I'm happy. There's some theories dash conspiracy that say that there are, some people have the ability to create different weather patterns and to create rain over here and a storm over here. Is that something that you're aware of or that you understand 
Uh, well, I have read some, some things about that. And it is true that at least at a smaller scale, one can, it seems that has been scientifically demonstrated that you can do some things to change in a controlled manner the weather. Okay. Mm. For example, you can spray some silver compounds in air and it seems that these silver compounds reflect most of the infrared and then this would allow you to decrease on average, the temperature. Or you can spray oh. some other compounds that, that favor or decrease, the, that allow you to control the probability of rain because you enhance the clustering of water particles in air, etc. So I think that these technologies are actually sound scientific. They have a sound scientific background. Okay. Mm, mm. Now, whether there is a conspiracy, big conspiracy that is doing some things at very, very, very big scale to really change actively the weather of the whole planet, I really, really doubt it. I think that the main change comes from the industrial revolution mm. that we did. But uh, I don't think that there are, and there's nothing else other than that. So with climate change, they're probably going to need some sort of technology that can alter the weather. So Yes. Yeah, yeah. And such technologies. Yeah. These technologies have, uh, well, I'm not an expert in this topic, but I have been following some news on these topics. And there are technologies, for example, there's a startup in Switzerland that is trying to show, to demonstrate a technology to catch carbon from air. And what? so, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And they have built a kind of big prototyping plan to show that such technology works. And it seems that you can collect carbon dioxide from air. And they are trying to demonstrate that it's even economically profitable in some way. So, and there are other technologies that are using other compounds. These technologies are there. I don't know if they would be economically, you know, sustainable or not, but they are there. There are some other scientists that are arguing that you could, that we could <laughs> try to spray some of the silver compounds in air, for example, to increase the reflectability and to decrease the temperature of the planet. So there are technologies uh, there. Now, the problem, in my understanding, is that you need to be very sure when you do something like that, that you are not going to end up in a state that is worse than the original one. Yeah. Because climate is very, very, very difficult to predict. You know it what is. I mean? And I mean, I wouldn't mind a lot of silver around. That would be lovely. But <laughs> I can imagine because I, I know a little bit about colloidal silver and I've seen mm -hmm. some blue people who've had too much silver and that's actually quite bad for your health, even though a little bit of silver is supposed to be good. But, um, yeah. Yeah, of course, and we are talking about, uh, you know, let's say that this is at a big scale. So if at some point humanity needs to decide to, you know, try to control the climate in, in some way, it will be at a really massive scale, right? And therefore, uh, well, the consequences and... and uh, it's very difficult. It's very difficult to predict. So I don't really know what's going to happen. <laughs> Is it a field that, because I do know that you like to merge and make connections between different fields. Yes. Could you possibly go into 
saving the planet and use what you know? I mean, especially you understand how light reflects. Could we not like reflect some of that light off our planet so that we don't? <laughs> yes. Well, in some way or another, at the end of the day, we are scientists and yeah. we are used to, uh, you know, solve problems following the scientific method. So, yeah, absolutely. It wouldn't be crazy to move to uh, topics more related to environment or air. And I would be actually happy to do that. I think, I honestly think that this is going to be one of the, the, the biggest, the mm. biggest challenge the humanity will face in the, in the next years. Well, we're so, already yeah. feeling it. It's, uh, it's, we are feeling it's really it. scary. Absolute, yeah. Absolutely. In Europe, for example, this summer, we had the hottest heat wave ever mm. recorded, at least here in the UK and in France as well. So there are clear, and you can find articles. There was a very nice article two weeks ago, statistically demonstrating that, yeah, these heat waves are related to the, our human activity. There's mm-hmm. nothing else, uh, no other way to justify these things, despite of uh, what other politicians or other people might try to sell, right? So Well, we can't deny that the the earth is changing, irrespective yeah. of what on earth is happening. It's not good for anybody. So nope. changes need to be made pretty yeah. quickly, yeah. Pretty, pretty quickly, yeah. Yeah. Well, Jordi, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was a pleasure. We did go off track. I knew we would. I'm sorry about that. But um, No problem at all. It is my <laughs> pleasure. Thanks so much for sharing all of your brains. No, I'm always happy to share uh, my brain and to discuss uh, about anything related to science, technology, with other people interested in listening. <laughs> so Brilliant. It's my pleasure. I hope you stay away from that military, okay? No, I am. <laughs> I am totally far away, actually. Okay. Yeah, as you could hear, I'm more concerned about uh, other endeavors. <laughs> okay, well, thank you so much, Jordi. Until next time, have a lovely day. <laughs> thank you. Likewise. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode with Dr. Jordi Pratt Camps. Until next time, please subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. Please stay safe, enjoy the company of your loved ones, and enjoy the rabbit holes.